Here we go with a Week 10 edition of Rams All Access. DeMarco Farr and J.B. Long. The Rams at 8-1, and one, coming off their first loss of the season in New Orleans. Now they host 4-4 four and four Seattle with a chance to take one step closer towards clinching the NFC West, potentially even before the bye. We'll talk about the scenario that would make that possible as we get started here. But let's bring in DeMarco Farr. And uh, what do you think? Taking the L in New Orleans, could it be... A good thing long term? Sometimes it can be. Uh, you know, a step backwards, you know, can always be a good thing for an athlete or a football team that's been riding high. Um, you know, a- along the way of winning a championship, you're going to have to face, you know, several adverse situations. One of them being, how do you respond to a loss? So the only way to know that is to lose a football game and see if you can recoup and, and respond. So, Thank goodness it's a division rival coming into town. It's Seattle. But for every championship team, save for the 72 Dolphins, you have to go through something like this to figure out how good you really are. And we didn't think they were going undefeated. We didn't think this was a 16-0 team, did well, we? <laughs> I Against mean, the schedule? if you buy into the Sean McVay philosophy of one game at a time... and He may have. He may have thought they could have won each of the 16 games well, on their schedule. I think they could have beat New Orleans. I really do. Oh, I mean, for sure. A couple of things go right. Johnny Hecker pick ups, uh, picks up the, the first down on the fake field goal. If y- you play better defense at the end of the game, who knows? Possibly they pull off the, you know, the comeback win in New Orleans and then you're 9-0. And then I think you should be favored against Seattle. That takes you to 10, so who knows? Well, the trick is not letting the Saints beat you twice. And right. That was a common theme this week, both in and outside the facility. And it's justified because of the previous four teams to start 8-0 and in the NFL... Three of them followed up their first loss with another loss. Hmm. So the Rams have to be careful not to join that group. And you kind of alluded to it a little bit. You think it's helpful to have a rivalry game at home next to try and avoid that pitfall. Yeah, it's 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 fun uh, to, to play a division rival. But, I mean, usually after a loss, you're kind of licking your wounds. And then you have to get amped up for the next football game. And sometimes it's hard. Human nature says it's hard to get rid of that loss, especially when it's your first one. But when you're facing Seattle, when you're facing Russell Wilson, a a familiar foe, all these guys are familiar with the guys they're getting ready to play against. You've already faced them once. Uh, it, it just, it's easy to refocus because you know what can happen. You know about that guy. So it's a little bit easier to shake off last week when you're facing a tough opponent this week. Sean McVay is slow to single out any particular game as being more important or unique than any other, but even he admitted seeing Seattle should help the Rams get over whatever hangover is left from New Orleans. Being able to play a great division opponent, uh, you know, coming off a game like that, I think it's something that is 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 great for our football team, and uh, you know, it's going to be a great challenge for us. You never go into a season, you know, at least I haven't. Thinking about going undefeated, what you try to do is, is just do the best you can that given week and, and try to go 1-0 and every single week. Fortunately for us, you know, our first loss through the first nine weeks came yesterday, but, uh, you know, I, I, I trust and, and, and have full confidence that we'll respond the right way, and, and that starts with a great week of preparation. And you do hope they do respond the right way. This is not a must-win in any sense of the phrase, coming home to face Seattle, over whom you already have a win and a, a comfortable division lead. Until, DeMarco, you consider the conversations we might be having this time next week if they don't put this one in their pocket. Because then you're two in the hole going to Mexico to face one of, if not the best teams in the NFL in Kansas City. It's rough. Uh, and if you, you got to look at the, I liked what you said, the long game. We were talking about an airplane seat, but I loved it. I've been stewing <laughs> on it since you said that. But if you look at the long game of setting yourself up for postseason success and winning the championship, then I guess you can consider it a must win. But... If you don't get it, 
there's still games left out there. So it's a little bit different, but I think the same still applies. If you have designs on winning a game, a tournament, a match, and the first time you can set yourself up to have the advantage, you need to take advantage. This is that week. I just want to spell out the long game and what we're talking about, <laughs> take you behind the scenes. The plane to New Orleans, we're on a 2-3-2 a two, two configuration, and DeMarco is assigned a row to himself on the left side, a row of two. Uh, but you know it has one of those permanent armrests yes. in the middle. You you can't. Ri- so he traded me. I had the the leftmost seat in a row of three. Left seat, open seat. Our producer uh, Julio on the right seat. So I say, sure, Demarco, I'll take the extra leg room over there on your side. Uh, you can go ahead and have this this uh, middle seat open. Come to find out on the trip home, MJD joins us. He was not on the charter to New Orleans. He only was on the ride back. So I have the broad-shouldered former Pro Bowl running back next to me drooling on my shoulder as he sleeps the whole way home from New Orleans. I had the extra leg room, though. That's the long game. I wish I would have planned it that way, but yeah. But I get it now. So if you really have designs, and I'm sure some of the best teams talk about this, probably not publicly, or I would bet not publicly, but like the Belichicks and the teams that are always in contention, when you have an opportunity to put a stranglehold on your conference with a victory, then absolutely take advantage the first time you can. The thing about this loss, though, well, two things. One, it comes against a team that now takes over control of the Mm -hmm. NFC. They took it out of your hands. Secondly, the way they beat you, I think it kind of hit a nerve. Because I, I think we all knew the secondary was struggling. I think we all knew Marcus Peters was not playing at the level uh, that he had for the Kansas City Chiefs. But there it was laid out in front of you for the whole world to see. There are issues that have to be addressed for them to even talk once again about achieving the things that we were talking about. No doubt. I mean, think about it. We talk about the greatest show on turf, a team I was on, and we came within a shoelace of losing the Super Bowl. Uh, I remember the year before, Minnesota had one of the best offenses Ever And they lost on a missed field goal and were knocked out of Super Bowl contention. So all a great offense does is guarantee you points. It doesn't guarantee victories. So I think the way you lost at the end, even the offense taking the field 623 in a three-point game and went three and out. Cannot happen. That's the offensive side. You give it back to Drew Brees and he scores on the defense on a third and seven. Cannot happen. So, yeah, that type of stuff, those last handful of plays should be driving you this week to beat Seattle. That being said, what's it like to be in the defensive room complementing a prolific offensive club? Because, I mean, yes, the offense had its miscues, for sure, but they scored enough points Mm. to win that game in really every game. Right. The personnel is there. I mean, the names, the production... It's all there. What's it like to have it not be coming to fruition through half a season? Well, this is fun. When we do talk about and make comparisons to the greatest show on turf, we either talk about the 99 team or the 01 team. No one really talks about the 2000 team. Same thing. That offense was great. We couldn't defend it at all. I don't think we had a sympathetic head coach. We were having issues on defense, and he would not slow down on offense. So as fast as we scored, the other team would – score just as fast, but with longer drives, and we would be worn out at the end. So we would lose shootouts in that year. Uh, so we didn't know, um, and we lost in New Orleans in the playoffs. That was our last game, and after that, the entire defense got fired. So, I mean, what you defending a high-powered offense can be tough if you're not up to snuff. Do you think this 2018 group is going too quickly? Do you think they're scoring no, no. Or, or punting too quickly? No, I, okay. I think they're, the, the problems on defense are on defense. Gotcha. It's their own. It has nothing to do with McVay. I mean, we had Mike Martz, the mad scientist. 
you know, we would tell him on defense, we need at least 10 plays to figure this out, and he would score in two. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a little bit different. Let's go specifically into some of those uh, areas of concern on defense, including the Marcus Peters situation in our next segment. We want to finish this one with our uh, ESPN Los Angeles Rams all-access poll question. Uh, before we leave New Orleans specifically, here's the remaining schedule for the now 7-1 and one Saints who after dropping their opener have ripped off seven in a row at Cincinnati this week, Philadelphia, Atlanta, at Dallas, at Tampa Bay, and then they finish at Carolina, home to Pittsburgh, home to Carolina. So we asked of that group, how many losses do you think the Saints will finish with now in 2018, knowing that the Rams would not have the head-to-head tiebreaker? Most popular answer was three losses. Really? 13 and three, 58%. uh, And then four or more drew 19 uh so look i think it's possible that the rams are are still the the front runner the in the driver's seat for the one seed yeah but now they need help you know what great if you want to take the lead great we'll just draft you it's fun uh i did read this morning that all of their offensive line in new orleans they're all on the injury report right so we'll see how they respond every team that's in front or behind or you think is out of contention they have Different plans and a different destiny than what you think. That's what's so fun about football. And they add Des Bryant. Crazy. That was peculiar. I mean, I'm just trying to add him to what we just saw. Right. Interesting. Wow. Does that make them better? Well, I mean, I'm sure. Which guy do you take off the field? I'm sure it's like uh, last week when the Rams add Dante Fowler Jr. And I want to get your take on his debut. I'm sure there are a Fair lot enough. of people around the league saying, do they really need him? What that? What's that going to look like? Uh, we'll talk about what it did look like at first glance when we continue on Rams All Access Week 10 edition. DeMarco Farr, J.B. Long, this is ESPN LA 710. One of the things that we've got here, J.B., is we've got great coaches in all three phases where you can allow them to coach, but there is a level of responsibility you have as a head coach to, to have an understanding of what goes on, and you have full confidence in our and you know in Shane and Aaron to be leaders for our offense and Bones for our special teams and, and really for, for Wade for our defense and, and Joe Barry as the assistant head coach but uh, there's a level of responsibility that I think, you know, naturally the position you have elicits and uh, to make sure that you have an owner, ownership and an understanding. But to say that as a result of yesterday's game, I'm going to be any more involved than I would uh, in any other week, is, you know, that, that would be uh, pressing, the, you know, doing something uh, that is not necessary. That was Sean McVay on Monday, this week's Coaches Show. We continue with Rams All-Access to Marco Farr and J.B. Long, and that was in response to my question. That was essentially this. Look, from the outside looking in, you have been very hands-off with respect to your defense. I mean, it all started with him hanging out by the water cooler in that nationally televised game at San Francisco and trusting Wade Phillips and his staff to do their job on defense. I didn't suspect he was going to change anything this week, but given how brilliant he is and what a great coach he is, just curious, might he have a little input on that side of the facility? Uh, I, I'm sure all head coaches do, but hopefully it will remain in the coach's office when they get together and just talk amongst coaches. I'm sure there's going to be some discussion about what needs to change on defense, or at least what the head coach has seen, and, and then bounce that off of his defensive staff. But the, the last thing you want to do, and believe me, I have been down this road, when an offensive-minded head coach or your head coach that doesn't usually show up on your side of the building all of a sudden starts to show up. 
starts to make his presence felt. It just it makes everyone tight, and it makes it's pointing a finger without pointing a finger. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So I mean, you've hired Wade Phillips and that staff to do a job. You have to trust them to do the job, and you have to maintain that at least publicly and to your players. But behind closed doors, and when I was an assistant coach, I, I, it was a great to see this with Denny Green and his staff to see how a head coach truly talked to his assistants, and I saw him fire a guy. In the room. So it does happen. Behind closed doors, I'm sure he's going to give his opinion. But publicly, stand by your your defensive staff. All right, so let's go back to Monday because not only were you know Wade Phillips and Sean McVay and the Rams coaches uh, breaking down the film, but you were too, and I appreciate you kind of texting me some thoughts throughout. Let's go to the defensive side. You can pick whatever level jumped out at you first, but like, let's address some specifics. What needs to change for this to become the defensive team we all thought they were capable of being? Well, one, I think you're going to be better because you're not facing Kamara again. Okay, so you start by tipping your hat to Drew Brees, yes. future Hall of Famer, Kamara, who looks like a perennial pro bowler, Michael Thomas, who makes the case for being the best receiver well, in the Well, him, Kamara specifically, because he's dynamic and the things he can do, and we said, how do you stop him in the red zone? And I think I said you can't. He's just that deadly down there, so you have to avoid those situations. But where they attacked, I think, is is an issue. You attack the outside. You attack the perimeter on the ground. You made those outside linebackers have to make plays to beat you. And time and time again early, those runs popped. They kept having success on the perimeter. The game that iced it for them was a perimeter run. They got the first down, and that was it. You couldn't stop the clock. So I I, I think that kind of underscores the problem we knew was there. You're having issues at outside linebacker. Um, sometimes it's the pass rush. You can't beat the tackles. This week it was you couldn't hold up against a pretty good offensive line and a fast guy coming behind it. So you better believe Seattle is going to find ways to attack the same guys. Now, they can't do it because they don't have Kamara, but they will find ways to put those same guys on an island to make them have to get off blocks and make plays. And they are committed to the running game. Uh, what was your first impression of Dante Fowler Jr., whose biggest and maybe only highlight uh, was a tackle for loss in run defense? You know, he's quick, he's fast, he's got that fast twitch stuff, he's a pass rusher. It's just a shame that... And you've heard me say this before. You have to earn the right to rush the passer, which means you have to stop the run. You provided New Orleans and Sean Payton and Drew Brees balance all day long. So you really couldn't pin your ears back and just go after him. So you didn't get to see the best of what Fowler can do. If you can somehow take away the run versus Seattle and force it back into Russell Wilson's hands and make it more of an obvious passing situation or game, I think you'll see what he's really about. I like that you started with Kamara for this reason. The dagger was the touchdown, you know, to Thomas over the top against Marcus Peters. We all remember that play. Mm-hmm. But the double coverage on that play was not given to Thomas. It was given to Kamara. And I think that rubbed some fans the wrong way. And that created some questions as to like, what is it going to take for Marcus Peters to get some help over the top in a game in which Thomas is going for a franchise record against him? But that's how good Kamara is, and that's the problem he presents to a defense. And that's how I felt or feel about Marcus Peters. I feel you should be able to lock him up with anybody's top receiver in a one-on-one situation and not give up a play or a touchdown. If you get beat, that's one thing, If especially if I'm giving you no help over the top. It's just you and that guy. But what I'm expecting of any corner of any football player worth his salt, if you do give up the GOAT, don't give up everything. Get the guy down, live to fight another down, let us line up again and play them. Just don't give it all up on one play. Let me give some uh, NFL next-gen stats just to 
put into perspective what we're dealing with here with uh, Marcus Peters really uh, laboring through his lowest graded season uh, acquired from Kansas City with a six-round pick for a fourth round and then the second round in this coming draft uh, has not lived up to his billing, at least to this point, and granted it's without a keep to lead, but DeMarco receivers are averaging 12 yards per target when he's the nearest defender. That's the second highest rate allowed in the league this season. He's been the nearest defender on seven touchdown passes through nine games. I know that's not the position you played, but like, can you give us a sense of what you think he might be struggling with, and how do you get it fixed in just one week? Well, I mean, that, I think that's better a question for, for Wade Phillips and Aubrey Pleasant, what he's doing wrong. But I, I can tell you for this, or th- this much, they are definitely coming at him in certain situations. Especially the Hall of Famers. Yes. Back-to-back week. They Rogers, are not, Breeze. Yes, they are not shying away from that side of the field. So we've seen it with certain corners when guys are hot or having great seasons. Quarterbacks will stay away from them. That is no man's land. We will not throw. Revis Island is real. This year, it's a little bit different. They are testing 22. They are having success. And I don't think it's going to stop for a while. Russell Wilson may have started it. Yes. I mean, they're going to keep coming back at you. If they think, and you've heard McVay say this, if he feels he has a matchup or a guy he can exploit, he's going to. Every offensive coordinator, every skill position guy in the National Football League that's going to be on the Rams' remaining schedule is looking at that film saying, I think we can do the same thing. I'll say this about Marcus. You were right there with him in the locker room afterward. He owned it. He pointed the finger right at himself, and that was part of Sean McVay's reaction uh, to what's going on with his star corner as well. When you're looking at you know some of the game plans or some of the different things that we ask, you know, you put elite players like him against the other elite players uh, and some of the matchups that... You know, you know, some of the situations dictate. And there's an element where if you watch him just snap in and snap out, he had a lot of individual plays or a lot of individual coverage responsibilities where he is one-on-one against an elite player and a Mike Thomas that he did a very good job. And then Mike made his plays too. And, you know, everyone wants to point to the to the big play at the end. And that was a situation where Drew makes a great throw. Michael does a great job on his release and ends up winning. But uh, our confidence in Marcus as a player doesn't waver. Uh, we continue to look at ourselves as coaches and make sure that are we doing things that have enabled Marcus to be a great player in this league for so long? And a couple games don't change the confidence that we do have in Marcus, the confidence he has in himself, and the comment, the confidence his teammates have in him. You know, I expect him to be the same guy no matter what. That's the thing I do know about good corners. And I remember asking some of the top corners in the league, what is it like to play cornerback in the National Football League? And they would say, it's sugar to blank. It is. You're up one moment, and the next minute you're giving up a touchdown, but what you can't do is let it get into your kitchen. You move on to the next play and the next game and the next receiver. So I'm with Sean McVay. I would line Marcus Peters up on any of the remaining roster's best receivers and feel comfortable and feel he's going to make the play. It's slightly lighter duty this week, which is not to say that Seattle doesn't have some burners and some very capable receivers. They do. But whereas like the Rams target receivers with the vast majority of their throws, at the other end of the spectrum is Russell Wilson in Seattle, and they don't. They use their tight ends. They use their backs. They do not rely as heavily on a number one matchup, like, for instance, Devontae Adams of the Packers or Michael Thomas of the Saints. Well, I mean, thank God, maybe you'll have a chance if you are struggling at corner. You can actually keep a safety over the top and feel the other matchups. Uh, if, if you want to go one-on-one with a tight end or a running back out of the backfield, you don't have to double like you did with Kamara. Now you can put a guy over the top of Peters and take away that that throw from the quarterback. But, I mean, look, matchups are going to be an issue. Um, thank goodness you don't have to face guys like Kamara week in and week out. But at some points, 
if this season goes the way we think it's going to go, you're going to see them again. Absolutely. And hopefully you'll have Talib back too. <laughs> yep. Uh, Talib saying this week that he hopes to be back after Thanksgiving. We need to take a break here on Rams All Access, but still to come, a look around the NFC and a trip inside opponent's territory. Brady Henderson will be with us for Four Down Territory and a preview of the Seahawks. That's when we continue on ESPN LA 710. All right, don't want to dwell too much on the defense, but I do want to begin this segment with the question, can this Rams defense, as it's currently constituted, win a Super Bowl. A couple of uh, scary indicators. This group allowing 22.2 points per game, 10th in the league. Only two teams have gone on to win the Super Bowl, according to ESPN Research, after allowing more than 22 points per game in the regular season. Uh, the 2006 Colts, the 2011 Giants. So yet another indicator that the Rams have some things to clean up before uh, they do hit postseason play. Uh, they also rank 22nd in the NFL in defensive efficiency since 06. Only two Super Bowl champions ranked outside the top 15, those same two teams, the 06 Colts, the 11 Giants. So uh, it takes a, sp- a pretty special quarterback, a pretty special offense um, to overcome defensive deficiencies. Uh, that being said, uh, we welcome back to Rams All Access to Marco Farr and J.B. Long. I think we spent plenty of time uh, on the defensive deficiencies. Looking forward to seeing some of those corrected this week against Seattle. Uh, why don't we start on a more positive note? They're slowly but surely closing in, even with a loss, on an NFC West championship. Mm-hmm. And there's a chance they could even get it done by the bye. Really? What would that feel like to take the bye in Thanksgiving weekend with a uh, NFC West 2018 champion? Foreign. <laughs> Very interesting. Weird. Uh, to, to have it all wrapped up, at least division-wise, before the bye week? I mean, could there be anything better? That's like winning the lottery. It's still pretty straightforward, and the most straightforward part is they need Arizona to take its seventh loss at Kansas City this week. Okay. Seems like it's in order. Then the Rams have to do their part. They have to win their two games before the bye, and then they would need Seattle not only to lose here at the Coliseum this weekend, but home to Green Bay on Thursday night football as well. That would mean that the worst-case scenario for L.A. would be 10-6 and with the tiebreaker head-to-head over Seattle. Um, the only wow. other team with potentially the chance to finish with fewer than seven losses. I mean, all those things, I mean, outside of taking care of business, the Rams taking care of their own business, all those things could conceivably happen. Remember we said, take advantage of it when you have an opportunity to put a stranglehold, to put mm-hmm. yourself in position to win. And you've seen it in baseball, you've seen it in every single sport where the ultimate winner or the guy that's going to win or the person that's going to win this particular tournament or event when they put themselves in position to win, like Tiger, moving day, puts himself in position to win, and then he does it. So all you really have to focus on is you. And this is a good opponent because it's not so complicated. It's not like a NASA space shuttle where there's a million different moving parts to the offense. It's pretty basic. You know how they're going to attack you. You're going to put you in a phone booth and see if they can out-physical you. Um, this is a great game for you to get back on in your own House in mm-hmm. your in the Coliseum. Remember the uh, quotation from DJ Fluker after they ran the ball well in Seattle in Week Five. Quote: They haven't seen a team that's played physical. They want to be pass rushers. That was after a very effective day rushing the football. Now Fluker and Carson in the backfield are likely going to be questionable for this matchup on on Sunday. We'll see the final injury report and we'll get the latest from uh, Brady next that's in funny. Rams All Access. Fluker plays guard, right? Mm-hmm. So who does he play over the most? 99. Uh, so he's talking directly to Aaron Donald. And he Sue. wants to be a pass yeah, rusher. I, I think okay. he got Sue's uh, the better half on, on one of those plays. And there was yeah. that, there was the holding call, remember that? Oh, yeah. I'm against Sue Drew that uh, Pete Carroll was very upset about, even though it was clearly supported by film. See, I would put that on what the guy that flies over the plane with the banners, I would put that quote up and fly it over the stadium 
right as Aaron Donald pulls in. Remember this quote? He's talking to you. Yes. Uh, let's jump over to the offensive side of the football a little bit. Um, a few questions for you uh, regarding this group. And I get the sense that there might not be a position group on the entire roster that needs the bye week more than the Rams' offensive line. They started gangbusters. They're still one of the top-graded groups in the league. But over the last couple of weeks, it seems like it's deteriorating just a touch. Yeah, you're going to have to bite down hard uh, for the rest of the year if you're the offensive line. You know what it is. Uh, it's going to be tough. And Sean McVay is not going to back off um, of his game plan and how he plans to attack. So the degree of difficulty of what you're doing to, to score touchdowns is higher than most teams in the National Football League. I think they've accepted that challenge. But, you know, teams don't care if you're tired. Team don't, teams don't care if you're beat up. If you don't execute and you get caught in a situation where it's third and a mile, anybody can be beaten off the edge or up the middle. And I think we've seen that. Some guys that aren't necessarily known as, uh, as pass rushers have given the Rams issues the last couple of weeks because teams have gotten the Rams to third downs more than they like. Right. So if you execute, if you stay on schedule, you can really protect yourself from having to fan out and protect pass rushers 60 to 70% of the time yeah. per drive. Jared Goff has now proven that he's one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the league when he is sitting in a clean pocket. But I liked kind of the thought that you put in my head earlier this week, which was, First part of the schedule, the offensive line was making his life easy, making him look good. As they have broken down a bit, now I think you're showing the growth of Jared Goff and the fact that he's been able to cover up for some of their mistakes. No doubt. Uh, earlier in the season, uh, I can go back to some highlights in my head to where Jared Goff is standing back there and just slinging it. And it looks like a home run derby. You know, I mean, every pitch is a fastball. Well, he's being protected. He's not being hit. There's not a guy within five yards of him. They're stuck on the line of scrimmage. He better not miss. Well, you jump towards week eight, week or week seven, week eight. Well, there's some pressure that's starting to get around the edges or up the gut, but he's making them miss, or he's stepping the spots to where they're not. That makes a good rush a bad rush because he just blocked. He just made the guy block himself by where he steps. So his otherworldly vision and feel, like Aaron Rodgers, is is starting to come out. Knowing when to scramble, no hesitation, taking advantage of the defense that gets too far upfield, or when they are having success against them and stepping to spots that makes that takes away this guy's best move and it helps out both tackles or guards just by where he steps. That stuff that you can say he's moving towards being a franchise quarterback. So it is great to see, man. Uh, either they're protecting him or he's protecting them by where he steps. I mean, a couple of his best throws of his career, I thought, in New Orleans. Uh, an out to Cooper Cup was right where it had to be. The ball to the end zone that, unfortunately, Tyler Higby didn't catch. I was right Man, there. that was fantastic. The other one he did hit over the hot, the top to Higby. I mean, some of these throws he's making, I think, should really encourage Rams fans because as we get deeper into this season, those are the types of throws that are the difference between a division and a bye, or a bye and the one seed, home field throughout, an NFC Championship game, maybe a trip to the ultimate one. Special. Even the one that, that Malcolm Brown scored on. I know we get caught up in looking at how he did it in the toe tap, but remember, how did that play even come about? Jared Goff scrambling up, buying time, and seeing him out to the flat totally. and delivering the football. Yeah, That's a good throw. I'm glad you mentioned Malcolm because I'm of two minds about what's going on in the backfield right now. In the second half of the season, they have to preserve Todd Gurley. His usage was off the charts in a very good way. But with the number of plays that they're running offensively, you got to make sure he's ready to play his best football after the new year, right? Because that's I agree. Heading. Totally. But at the same time, I have a real difficult time handling the fact that when you get that fumble 
and you're set up in the high red zone like the 22-yard line, number 30's not there. Like, Malcolm's playing really well, don't get me wrong. Like, he has been Mm -hmm. taking advantage of every opportunity. But when you have a chance at 14-14 to take the lead and Todd Gurley, the NFL's scoring leader, is not there, that's tough to stomach. It is. Uh, And, uh, look, the the good thing about being where we are is we get to see what happens underneath the pads when they take them off and how wrapped up some of these guys are. So sometimes it's just like the stars aren't aligned. Okay, so they may have had it planned, this will be the drive or the series that he's out. Right. And we're going to do X, Y, and Z to his body, and then you get the takeaway quickly, and he's just not ready. Yeah, so no, it just it, it just happens. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm not criticizing <laughs> yeah. the fact that he's not there. I'm saying I know I am going to have to discipline myself to think long game, as I'm sure this coaching staff is, where they have the fantasy star, the guy who goes and gets all the touchdowns, but they have to spell him in weeks 10, 11, 12, and ongoing so that, you know what, if that sudden change happens in a uh, in an yeah. NFC divisional game, he's ready to sprint out there. Absolutely. You know, and that's the other thing. And they, they've been sitting on John Kelly. They've been uh, sitting on uh, 33. Slips of mine. Justin Davis. Justin Davis, excuse me. I mean, they've been uh, sitting on him or those two guys, those dynamic running backs who we liked in the preseason, have either played special teams or have been down. At some point, like we said, if you can – Take care of business versus Seattle, and you have the division wrapped up before the bye. Might be a good time to get somebody else some carries. Just don't rest him this week because he's only got seven <laughs> touchdowns in his last two games against the Seahawks. Or you know, right. I, don't, I don't really want him taking downs off in Mexico City either. To right. be honest, we'll, we'll figure it out as we go. Uh, four down territory is next on Rams All Access. This is ESPN LA seven ten. Welcome back to Rams All Access, and we continue with a Seahawks preview. Four Down Territory, joining us from ESPN's NFL Nation, Brady Henderson, who covers the Seahawks. And Brady, the last time we saw you, Earl Thomas had just been injured, uh, flipping off his sideline. There seemed to be some lingering tension, some turmoil. But since then, it's as if the skies have cleared a bit for Pete Carroll. Is all well again inside the Seattle locker room? All is well right now in the locker room. And, you know, on the field, things were were looking up quite a bit when they improved a four and three with a pretty good win over the road uh, over the lions on the road now they kind of came back down to earth a little bit last week against the chargers and you know for as well as their secondary had played even without earl thomas richard sherman cam chancellor uh those guys had a tough first half against philip rivers and the chargers a lot of big plays uh and now they have to come back against the team that has really been beating other teams with a lot of big plays uh and including in that first meeting against the seahawks and it wasn't so much you know, the Seahawks letting the, the Rams get deep behind them. It was a lot of tackling issues on some underneath routes. So that's certainly been a focus for the Seahawks this week is shoring up some of the tackling issues that plagued them in the first meeting against the Rams. All right, so let's uh, dial in a little bit on that secondary, the pass defense, because statistically it looks really good despite having faced, like you mentioned, the Chargers and the Rams already to this point in the season. Is it possible moving forward that even without the Legion of Boom that we've grown accustomed to, that that standard of coverage has been preserved? So far, yes. But but this, you know, right now they are in a very tough stretch of quarterbacks. It started a couple weeks ago against Matt Stafford in Detroit, and then it continued last week with, with Rivers. And now again on Sunday, uh, they've got Jared Goff. So, you know, we've seen that secondary, the defense in general, and the secondary in particular, it's probably been a lot more competent and people would have expected, just given all of this, the firepower that it lost, not only with the secondary guys that we mentioned, uh, but with Michael Bennett, Sheldon Richardson, Cliff Averill. That defense has been a lot better than people expect, and the secondary has been a big part of that. But that's now a very young group, and there's bound to be some growing pains. And by the way, that group's most experienced member, strong safety Bradley McDougald, 
he's he's looking a little iffy for this game because of a knee injury. So he, they could be without really their their only guy with more than three years of experience. Uh, you know, coming up Sunday against the Rams. All right, so let's go there next. I know it's early, but you know, in terms of key injuries, you mentioned McDougal. How about running back Chris Carson? Who else do you think a contributor in real jeopardy of actually missing this week's game? The three big names right now are McDougal, Chris Carson, and DJ Fluker. We mentioned uh, McDougal, but but Carson and Fluker, those are two very big absences when you consider, when you think back to, to the last time the Seahawks played the Rams, the way that they nearly won that game was by rushing for 190 yards, almost six yards per carry. And the, Chris Carson, certainly, and possibly DJ Fluker, those might be the two most important guys in that running game. And Carson is dealing with a hip injury right now. He did practice yesterday. Fluker has a sore calf. He also did not practice yesterday. doesn't sound like they're going to do a whole lot in practice this week, so they could go all the way up to game time in terms of their statuses. But the, the running game is a very important element of beating the Rams on Sunday if the Seahawks are going to do it. Fluker and Carson are probably the two most important members of that run game. All right, final question on four-down territory for Brady Henderson, who covers the Seahawks for ESPN's NFL Nation. At 4-4, four and four, do the Seahawks see this trip to L.A. as a must-win to keep their postseason hopes alive? I don't know if it's necessarily a must-win uh, because they still have you know almost a half a season left after that. But they are certainly, you know, if, if they're going to have any shot at all at winning the NFC West, is certainly a must-win. And I don't think that has really seemed all that realistic. You know, winning the NF- NFC West just with the way the Rams have been running away with it. Uh, but you know, Bobby Wagner mentioned it that you know they they do have a much smaller margin for error, even if it, it you know even if they're just trying to make a wild card. Uh, trying to earn a wild card berth. And, and again, the schedule, I mentioned the quarterbacks, but the schedule in general continues to get tough after this week. They've got Aaron Rodgers on a Thursday night game at home. Then they go across the country uh, to play Cam Newton and the Panthers in Charlotte. So um, the Seahawks, you know, with that loss to the Chargers last week, they, they did not leave themselves a whole lot of wiggle room, a whole lot of margin for error in the second and a half of the season. And that second half starts with probably their toughest match of the year, playing the Rams in L.A. All right, Brady, thank you for checking in with us. As always, we will see you at the Coliseum. Sounds good, JB. Thank you. I'll say this about Seattle. They're better. I actually think they're pretty good. Statistically, I don't see them as a a 4-4 and team. Uh, Four losses by a combined total of 23 points. And two of their most notable losses, uh, the Chargers and the Rams, have both come down to essentially the final play. No doubt. Uh, When they're at their best, they're taking the ball away and running the football and controlling the clock. If you can somehow get them out of their game plan and force them into a shootout, then I I think you'll have a better chance to beat the Seahawks. I think the Chargers just proved that. If you can turn the tables on them and pick off Russell Wilson and just make his life miserable, I think you'll have a better chance to beat them. But either way, um, it doesn't matter who your opponent is, and thank God it's Seattle for the focus part of it, but if the Rams do regroup and play their best football, play like the back of the names on the jersey, I think they should be able to take care of business against just about anybody. What's interesting to me, though, is that kind of post-Legion of Boom, it seems like they've finally settled on their identity. Uh, whether it needed to be addition by subtraction. I mean, Pete Carroll said as much. We figured out how we want to play. We have a real sense for that. Now we have to find a way to get the wins that come with it. Now you can argue whether or not their approach is the best approach to get those wins, uh, but they are once again a downhill 
running team that leans on a rebuilt offensive line and Russell Wilson uh, gives you the chance to win games. I think that's who they were striving to be, even if some other veteran members of their organization were not fully on board with who they committed to. No doubt. It's it's a safe approach. I mean, we've seen it. I guess most people call it conservative, a conservative approach to, to football. But if you do run the football and your plan is to control the clock, then your losses will be by, they won't be by much because the other team won't have as much time to do anything with it. So it's a great way to keep your team in it if you don't feel you're very good or if you're outmanned. So as long as you can consistently get the ball downhill and as long as your offensive line is doing a great job up front, which they have done, they kind of recommitted and they've settled on a group and they've been really good together. So if they stay with their game plan, like we said, uh, a lumberjack competition, when two guys are chopping at a tree, the guy that misses licks for the most part is going to lose the competition, but the Seahawks will just keep pounding away in those same run gaps and hopefully... Eventually, the dam will break, and they'll control it or break a long one. That injury report was pretty staggering from their perspective. I mean, if they're up and ready to go, they're formidable. But right now, about half of their active roster, their game day roster, is listed as missing practice, whereas the Rams had only Todd Gurley with a non-injury-related absence on Wednesday. See, I'm starting not to believe the injury report anymore (laughs) and this whole active... Remember getting fined when we learned Manti Teo was going to be down, like the day of the game, and I just heard some other coach got reprimanded for manipulating the injury report or something like that. Maybe that's part of it. Teams are erring on the side of caution, like overlisting, even if it's not a fair representation. But Brady told us, I mean, there there are some pretty, including Fluker and, and McDougal. Um, it's interesting that Tedrick Thompson, to me, uh, has played well, t- uh, stepping in for Earl Thomas, not just in the game against the Rams where he knocked out Brandon Cooks, a game that both Cooks and Cooper Cup were knocked out of, but uh, he's delivered. I mean, he's a top 25 safety all of a sudden. You know, I, I like safeties that accept the responsibility of the position, which means you are the last line of defense, which means he doesn't miss tackles. Every, I mean, guys at that position will line guys up for big hits. I think anybody, any bonehead back there can become a big hitter, but the best safeties to me are the guys that get guys on the ground when the defense has no other option, and he's been that guy. Yeah, these last two weeks before the bye are just fascinating because I think one and one, no matter how it happens, you're in good shape. You can survive and advance. Uh, two and zero would be fantastic, obviously, uh, and it would put you in a situation where you're now playing for the top prize and only the top prize in the NFC. Uh, but 0-2, I think, is a real possibility here. I mean, I, I have a profound respect for who the Seahawks are despite their record. Um, and I, I take seriously the fact that there are some issues with the Rams right now, especially defensively, and they're not, they're not impervious to this potentially happening on Sunday. No, I mean, if you get caught playing Seahawk ball, you're in trouble. I mean, it, it could go down to the wire or if you're not taking care of the football. Now, last week's, I guess turnover on downs on the fake field goal. That's one thing. Uh, but the pick that Jared uh, Goff threw, I mean, you have to give them credit for making the play. But if you go out there and you're loosey-goosey with the football, put it on the turf a few times, and you give Russell Wilson and that offense extra possessions, you're going to kill any momentum you have offensively or defensively, and you can make it tougher than it what than, than what it needs to be. But I still think the Rams are just a better football team than the Seahawks. They have to play like it on Sunday to, to prove that out. All right, we will finish in our final segment with the uh, current odds from one seed all the way through the chances of making the playoffs updated for the Los Angeles Rams after their first defeat of 2018, plus a look around not just the division but the entire NFC. We mentioned the Saints matchup. How about Carolina, the only other two loss at Pittsburgh this week? That's when we continue and wrap things up on a Week 10 edition of Rams All Access on ESPN LA 710. 
Uh, definitely don't want to leave here tonight without uh, addressing the horrible tragedy that occurred in our community uh, overnight on Wednesday into Thursday as we continue with this Rams All Access edition to Marco Farr and J.B. Long. Uh, the common word coming out of the Rams organization and really the entire community is heartbroken. Uh, the statement from the team, the Los Angeles Rams organization, is heartbroken by the horrific shooting that took place last night in our community of Thousand Oaks. Cooper Cup, uh, heartbroken. Jared Goff, heartbroken. Johnny Hecker, praying for comfort and healing to those affected by this uh, senseless shooting. Andrew Whitworth, heartbroken this morning. I'm just so sorry to those affected. Uh, DeMarco, you and I uh, work there uh, fairly often, have gotten to know members of that community. Uh, the Rams are a great part of that community, and this one really hurts. No doubt. Uh, I think we're we're all like-minded. I, I think angry as a as an american citizen that this keeps happening and scared to death as a parent i mean just absolutely scared beyond words um and when it happens so close to either where you live or where you work uh, an area you pass every single day or live in and it's it's just one of those things you just can't wrap your head around ever no matter how many times it happens uh, we don't have information at this point uh, too early in the process but suffice it to say uh, those who did lose their lives who lost loved ones uh, will be with us on sunday at the coliseum will be recognized in some way shape or form uh, we will be sure to uh, have you on air with us both in our in our words and in our thoughts and once again we extend our condolences to all of you who might be listening uh, who lost someone in that tragedy all right, week 10, we continue on. Uh, the Seahawks will be in town to take on the Los Angeles Rams at 4-4. Four and four. L.A., even though they no longer control the number one seed and the home field advantage throughout the playoffs that might come with it, they do lead the NFC in wins at 8-1, and one, and their odds are still fantastic. In fact, according to Football Outsiders, they still are the favorite to be the one seed, uh, 52% are their chances over the Saints, in fact, down 22.5%. And a lot of that has to do with where the division stands and the fact that the Saints still have to contend with the likes of Carolina, not to mention games against Pittsburgh. Uh, the bye sits at 85% chance, the division at 98.2% chance. So a win on Sunday against the Seahawks would not officially clinch it, but that would pretty much get it done. And the odds of the Rams making the playoffs from 8-1 and one sit at 99.6%. Panthers the only two-loss team in the NFC, DeMarco. And so while I think a lot of the eyes will go towards New Orleans naturally, uh, they have yet to get their shot at the Saints. They play the Saints twice in December. I'm curious to see how Cam Newton against uh, Drew Brees sorts itself. Out. Yeah, I mean, they got the victory over the Rams, so that puts them in the driver's seat, and who knows for how long. They still have their own issues. They still have their own division rivals they have to face. Like you said, Carolina. And of all the elite quarterbacks, every time we start talking about who's the best and however long it takes you to get to Cam Newton, on any given Sunday, he can beat any one of them. He's just that good and that dynamic, especially with all the protections quarterbacks are afforded. It's almost unfair with Cam Newton, so... Mm. The Saints have their own issues, but the Rams right now have to deal with their Achilles heel, so to speak, the Seattle Seahawks. Remember, this is for 2018, but if you do a number on them and make them rethink that their plan is not even close to what's going on in L.A., you can get them to dismantle again. So, I mean, this is a big, big moment for the L.A. Rams. That being said, Week 9 was a, a reminder to me. I think we knew it going there. There's something about the Superdome that is worth points, and nothing against Carolina. But if push came to shove and you had to take a road trip somewhere in the playoffs, 
I'll take Carolina and Cam Newton over New Orleans and Drew Brees. I know Seattle gets a lot of credit for being loud and the 12th man and they're famous and whatnot. But I mean, when the, when that dome gets going and that, that fan base gets riled up, it's as loud as anywhere in the country, possibly louder. And it's, it's a true home field advantage. So if you can, any NFC team would want to avoid going through New Orleans. Speaking of home field advantage, another long stretch away from the Coliseum awaits the Los Angeles Rams. Three games and a bye. That's 34 days between home games uh, after this Sunday against the Seattle Seahawks when they host the Eagles in prime time on Sunday, December 16th. Uh, final thoughts here on this Week 10 edition of Rams All Access. Give me some keys to the game. What do you think will dictate the outcome against the Seahawks? Michael Brockers. Uh, let me let me start with him. And when you start with issues in the run game, uh, he's the first guy that I think about because the better he plays or when he's playing – at a high level, the run game seems to be blunted, stagnated, and just goes away completely. And then you set it up for the rest of the football team, the pass rushers, to get to the quarterback. So if he's having a great game early, if they're stopping the run attack, and you can force Russell Wilson to have to throw it more than 20 times in the game or more than 20 times in the half, I think you're playing Ram football, exactly what you want. But if you look up and it's close to halftime and he's got less than 10 attempts, that means you're not stopping the run. That means they're just pounding the daylights out of you, and that's bad. You put too much pressure on the offense. So that's number one. Uh, number two, protection. And not getting to third down. I think that's been the issue. When you look at the Rams versus the Green Bay Packers and the New Orleans Saints, the one thing that jumps out is, wow, they're getting to third down a lot, which means you're not winning on first and second down like you were early in the season. Get to that type of ball. Put more pressure on the other team's offense to keep up with you versus the other way around. Hmm. Final thought for me is uh, every meaningful loss of the Sean McVay era, and when I say meaningful, that's code for ignore Week 17 against the San Francisco 49ers last week because that wasn't a real game. Every loss of the Sean McVay era so far has not just been followed by a win, but by multiple wins. And that's not going to go on forever. I get that. Part of that is just the schedule, who you play and how you play. But I think that's a really nice thing to hang your hat on is that we're going to take our lumps along the way, just like every team in this sport. But no team's going to get us twice. And we are going to come back with a determined effort following each and every time we stumble. And that's the opportunity that's available to them again against the division foe in Seattle. Do you feel like that's a real dynamic in the NFL within a locker room that sometimes you do muster your best effort or renewed commitment following a defeat? You do. Um, look, sometimes your best work, your best coaching jobs and your best effort or the you you remember what you're doing all of this for because if you somehow forgot remember how the offseason began for the LA Rams it began with a loss to the Falcons in the playoffs and you thought the next time we get to this situation we'll be better for it and then they won the offseason and then they won eight straight and then you lose one in yeah, the Yeah, fueled them for sure. Yes. So this should remind you of that feeling in the playoffs. Wow, once you lose there it's over and you don't get it back. You don't want the same situation to happen to you this year. Well, Sean McVay said it. It was the first time in a long time that he had woken up with that pit in his stomach on a Monday morning. We look forward to uh, better news and better conversations uh, next week here on Rams All Access. Enjoy Week 10 at the Coliseum. We will talk to you Sunday for Seahawks and Rams on ESPN LA 710.